Hello, and welcome to Paratox Untold Stories from Athletic Directors. I am Dr. Danielle LaPointe, and my co-host is Dr. Dustin Smith, and we are here today with Hugh McReynolds. How are you today, Hugh? I'm doing great. Doing great. We are excited to have you here, uh, hear your crazy story, but um, Dustin's going to give you the proper intro, but first I'd also like to thank uh, Ticket Spicket for being our sponsor and making all of our episodes possible. So Dustin, how are you doing this morning? And I'm outstanding. I'm living the dream in Greenwood, Arkansas, and I have been waiting with bated breath for this episode because I kind of got teased a little bit in Indianapolis, and this has been set up for a while. There are things in this world that are guarantees, and uh, we have one today. Hugh McReynolds is a guarantee. He's a legend. He's a Kentucky native. It's our first trip to Kentucky, so I'm excited about that. But also, Hugh is a Hall of Famer. He's in the NIAAA Hall of Fame, follows such guests like we've had in the past, like uh, Doug Kilgore, who's in there. have a mutual friend and a former podcast guest and Mike Elson. And I think, well, and one that's a future guest that's going to be Phil Risen that can really be to blame for getting Hugh on this podcast. But I'm excited because Hugh is a, he is a gentleman. He is hilarious. He is a legend in the athletic administrator world. And we'll talk about what he, what he's doing presently. Um, because I think what he'll tell you is he's a retired athletic administrator. He doesn't have to worry about being in a school district now, but there's some stories that go back to what Hugh's done and what he's doing, but Hugh is a phenomenal man. He's a, I'm excited to have Hugh here. And uh, even in spite of some of his friends, like a Mike Elson, <laughs> like a Phil Risen, he's, he's agreed to join us today. So Hugh, how are you today, brother? I'm doing great. It's uh, it's a pleasure. It's a walk down an unknown path for me. First time I've done one of these. Um, good or bad, I'll give credit to Phil Rising and Mike Nelson. Uh, I give them a lot of grief, but they're two good men, and I'm great to call them. I'm happy to call them great friends. Well, we we can talk about your friends. We can talk about your accolades and being a Hall of Famer and and all the list of stuff that you have done with NIAAA. But my question always, we start off with this, and I know this is foreign territory to you, Hugh, but I always like to ask, who is is Hugh outside of the athletic administrator role? What makes you enjoy what you do? What do do you do in life to have fun? What are you outside of an athletic administrator? Um, I'm a country boy. I like the country. I like the outdoors. Uh, since I retired, I picked up a part-time job doing insurance surveys for private properties. Uh, just got home from a three-day trip to eastern Kentucky. And yes, I had to work. <laughs> but I will tell you, too, the most enjoyable thing I had and the greatest blessing I had was the three days driving that 700-mile trip and just seeing the beauty of the country, the beauty of eastern Kentucky even in some of the areas that went through the floods back earlier in the summer. Uh, The natural beauty is just a blessing. And that's me. I enjoy those little simple things. I like simple interactions with people. Uh, Not high tech, not fancy, just simple. And that's the reason why you wanted to be on this podcast, because we're simple people. 
Okay. <laughs> so you talk about Eastern Kentucky and then you went there, it's a 700 mile journey that you were on. Let's paint on a map where you're located presently so people in the country can kind of get a glimpse of, of where you are in the country. I live in Lewisburg, Kentucky, Logan County. It's about an hour west of Bowling Green, and I'm about an hour north of Nashville. That's about as simple as you can go. <laughs> you can get to the National Convention real easy this year. Uh, this year, it's real easy. It is really easy. There's no flying for you or anything. It's just driving down. That's just driving down. Of course, to be quite honest, it might be safer to fly from my house to Nashville. Because traffic <laughs> between here and Nashville can sometimes be a disaster. Terrible. Yes. So. Uh, Let's get the point of this podcast. We like to have some fun. We like to tell some stories. And I got a glimpse of at least one story you were telling me uh, this this past September when we were in Indianapolis. But you've got some experience in the AD chair, and you've got some experience with some stories of Sweet Maria. That really just happened. Um, and, and I think the phrase that stuck out to me is they kept saying, send them to Hugh, send them to Hugh, send them to Hugh. So can you elaborate on your story of uh, the, the moments that are just, uh, you can't believe this stuff happened? Well, a little bit of background. Uh, I taught school for 29 years. I was athletic administrator at Logan County High School for 24 of those 29 years. Um, I've never coached a day in my life. Now, at one point in time, I had an assistant coaching position but it was administrative. Our head football coach was a former college coach, and he approached the job needing somebody. He said, you handle the things outside the white lines. I'll handle the things inside. And that's the way we did things. And to be quite honest, that's essentially the way I handled things when I became an athletic director. Uh, and during that time, I talked exceptional education for 25 years. Uh, no, I did not go to college to become a special education teacher. I was a health and safety education major, but I wanted to be in schools. And so I did one of those transition to teaching. My story deals with a, one of my former special education students. Um, he played football, was very, uh, a bull in a china shop. Uh, he had a short fuse, and any time he would get in trouble, our principal, who actually was my basketball coach in high school, I was his manager. I worked for him for 17 years while he was our principal. And uh, if this kid would get in trouble, he wouldn't send him to the assistant principal's office or send him anywhere else. They'd say, send him to you. Because a lot of times, if he was uptight, he could knock anybody out. He was strong as an ox. I'd end up a lot of times bear hugging him and just telling him, take a deep breath, let's go. Well, over the years, he became a pretty good assistant. And my story I'm going to tell, and Scott about fell out of the seat on the bus that day, <laughs> We were getting ready, my head football coach and I were getting ready for a home football game on Thursday. We were painting lines on the field, just like most every other AD does at some point in time in their career. Well, 
this individual apparently got in trouble in school and the principal was on the stage watching lunch and they he told them, just send him outside to Hugh and Coach May. They can take care of him. Well, he came right out. We were painting lines and he said, can I help? <laughs> I said, sure. We were just starting. We probably spent an hour or more painting lines and hey, if he wanted to push that machine across the field and push it back, because I double painted every line I ever did. And uh, I watched him. It's no big deal. We had probably uh, probably 30 to 40 yards left. I don't know what. Coach May went back into the building because his lunch hour was up, and he went back in because he had a class, and it left the individual and I outside. and. Uh, Somebody came running down to the field and said, Coach you? He said, Mr. Nylon wants you in the gym now. And I said, well, I'm busy. He said, tell him you, he said now, which was a subtle message. Somebody had gotten hurt and I had to go take care of it. I have a background in athletic training. And I was the first responder at school at that time. And uh, Chris said, well, what am I supposed to do? I said, well, what do you want to do? He said, can I finish the field up for you? I said, sure. I trusted him. I had no problem with it. And we were stringing lines. They got faint for being on the road for a while. I left him. Left him with the machine. I told him, I said, just make sure you string every line. I was probably in the building 30 to 45 minutes. One of those days. You've all had them. <laughs> by the time I got ready to come out of the uh, building and walk back down to the stadium Coach May came out with me and we were walking back and he said looks like it's done I said yeah it does and then Coach May said Hugh something's wrong I said what do you mean he said it don't look right and I said what do you mean looks pretty bright white to me and then I realized our lines were diagonals. They were not straight across the field. They were <laughs> diagonals. The young man had taken his string and he'd moved one side, but he hadn't moved the other. And he'd finished the field. I think there were four, maybe five lines he had done. Five yard diagonals across the field. Right <laughs> <laughs> white everywhere. I mean, it was wonderful. And Coach May said, you? He said, um, where's Chris at? And I said, I'm not real sure. But I said, let's go down there and check. Chris was nowhere to be found. Um, Coach Bates said, what are we going to do? I said, well, two things. I said, one, we got to find Chris. Because <laughs> he, when things didn't go right, or he thought he was disappointing us. Because Coach May and I were probably his two biggest supporters in the school. As a matter of fact, the young man lived with Coach May for a while in the process. I said, you work on finding him. I said, I'll solve this problem. He said, what are we going to do? I mean, I'm having a football coach flipping out over diagonal lines on a football field. I mean, they were perfect. Just visualize they were just all five yards on the opposite side of the field. Why the kid didn't notice 10-yard difference in one area, I'm not sure. But, you know, hey, it goes that way. Um, 
He said, what are you going to do? I said, I know. No problem. No problem. I bent down and just grabbed up a handful of Bermuda grass. And Coach May looked at me and he said, what are you doing? I said, don't worry about it. I've got this handle. You take care of the other part. I said, go find him. He said, well, where is he going to be? I said, locker room, training room, or baseball or softball dugouts. That's the four places he goes. I said, he might be in my classroom, but I doubt. I said, he thinks I'm mad at him. I said, I've got more things to do than be mad at the kid. I said, we got to fix it. And so I grab up a handful of grass, go get my car keys, and I go to town. I go to the local hardware store, good friend of mine, and I throw this grass down on the counter. And I said, Jeff, I need a green color to match this grass. And he looked at me and just laughed, and he said, what's wrong? I said, I have some lines that have been painted wrong, and I need to correct it. He said, oh, okay. And, of course, at that time, he had one of those optical scanners that would scan the color and match it perfectly, or at least come real close. There was never anything that you called perfectly matched. But he did a pretty good job. And he said, how much are you going to need? And I said, probably three, four gallons. I said, we got a lot of lines to cover. <laughs> and uh, he said, okay. And I went wandering in the store, and I found a three-gallon egg sprayer. Got it. He mixed the paint up. It looked pretty close to the green grass, about as good as I was going to get, better than I'd ever find, and went back to school. Coach had found Chris. Chris didn't want to see me because he thought I was going to yell at him. That time I was in recovery mode and I didn't really care about anything. I couldn't care less. Matter of fact, coach ended up bringing Chris out there and I, he said, I'm sorry. I said, you made a mistake. Life goes on, son. Pick up the pieces and let's fix it. Yeah, he was trying to help too. Huh? He was trying to help. He was trying to help, Danielle. You're mm -hmm. exactly right. And if you followed most of what I ever did and looked closely at how I interacted, most everything in my career involved my exceptional education students or the kids I had in credit recovery in my latter years of the career. Uh, yes, he was trying to help. And, and so forth, I'll go on. I said, move the line back over where it's supposed to be and paint it. And I put him and Coach May correcting the lines and painting it. Coach May said, what are you going to do with that diagonal? I said, just give me time. I pour my paint in my three-gallon sprayer, mix a little water in up with it, and I go to hand spraying, painting out those lines. Took us a while, but we got it recovered. The best thing about that story is this. Most people setting up in the stands that Friday night didn't even realize that the lines were painted wrong. It wasn't till after that game the next week that most people even found out about it. We, we had a lot of great laughs over it. Still to this day, we laugh about it. Wasn't the only story I could tell about paint and somebody <laughs> screwing up my field. But you, know, you have to understand, I'm pretty passionate about it. When Dustin introduced me, 
There was one thing he forgot to mention. I was the chair of the NIAAA Turf Slash Facilities Committee for 10 years. And working with those turf industry professionals for that long, you learned a few tricks of the trade, and you learned a lot about taking pride in the facility that you had. And uh, that kid, Daniel, you were absolutely right. He was trying to help. And I just made sure he helped finish it up. I looked at him about halfway through. We stopped. I was getting something to drink. And he said, Coach, I'm sorry. I said, I know you didn't mean to do this. I said, I'm the least of the people you would want to hurt. I said, you were trying to help. You were trying to get it done so I wouldn't have to do it. And, you know, you say humorous. It was humorous at the moment. But at the same time, when you look at the individual and what he was trying to do, it's not funny. Now, Coach Mazik's reaction, my reaction, the reaction anybody had walking from the building down to the football field, because of all places him to do it, it was right out the back door of the school and it was the end of the field that you could see. And if you paid any attention to it, you could see those nice diagonal lines. I think he started about the 35 and went to about the 15 or so before, maybe the 10, before he realized something's not right. I think when the line got to the end zone on the far end, that's when he realized I screwed up. And he didn't know how to correct. And it's just one of those things. Let, let me ask a few questions, you just because these – have hit me as you were telling this story, and I'll think back to our discussion in Indianapolis. But the the first thing I want to say is my coaches are spoiled because they don't have to paint lines. We got the turf now, and it's all done, so they don't have to worry about that. So that's a different avenue for them as coaches, and maybe some ADs even across the country that don't have to understand the work that goes into painting a field, painting the lines, and doing that. You can't just do it once for the season. It's it's every home game you've got to paint those lines. Is that correct? That's correct. That's correct. And, you know, uh, it was hard work. And I think back in the July, early August, and early September days that I did that, I enjoyed it. But I roasted like a pig after trying <laughs> And if you've never – Dustin, in Arkansas, you might understand – Danielle, I'm not sure where you're located, but in Kentucky, the humidity is horrible in July and August. Well, I'm in Florida, so uh, <laughs> I can feel you on that. It, but it's it's it was a challenge, but you know I enjoyed it. It was a great way to get out and enjoy it. And if you take pride in something like that, you don't mind putting the time, energy, and effort into it. Uh, and. You mentioned something about being a first responder, and you were the person that had to get there to the somebody had been hurt in the gym, and you had to get to that. You kind of just glossed over that you have athletic training experience, but you also just glossed over saying I was a first responder, so I had to get there. What was that situation like when you walk out and notice the field messed up like it was when you were called to another duty? What was that reaction like for you? I know what it was like for Coach May, but what was it like for you? Well, to be quite honest with you, Dustin, it actually was a dislocation. Uh, 
a visible dislocation whew, that I had to call an ambulance for. And, you know, when you put things in perspective, four or five lines at a five-yard diagonal on a football field really didn't mean a whole lot. Right. I didn't reckon. I was, t- I was already tired. I was stressed. My mind, if you've got any medical background, whatever level it is, after something like that's over, you go back and you play it in your mind. Did I do something wrong? Did I, could I do something better? What would make it happen in a more positive relation? And I probably came out of the school that particular day thinking that very thing, just playing it back through my mind, carrying on a conversation with Coach May. And I really probably, I was looking at the field and I saw that it was done and I thought, well, great. Until Coach Bay said, Hugh, there's something wrong. Then I realized. And I can be a little hyper, <laughs> a lot hyper, <laughs> already see. But when things happen sometimes, oh, okay, hey, you just take them and go with the flow. You know, Dustin, once you mentioned when we talked about this when I first got lassoed into this process, <laughs> uh, the idea of trying to just share past experiences with younger ADs, yeah, you got a lot in the business now, but a lot of them hadn't done the things that the older ADs did to make every day happen. Uh, I look at school I retired from. I retired, I was the athletic director. I was the groundskeeper for athletics. I was custodian a lot of nights after JV and freshman contests. I was in charge of the concession stands. One person, one hat, the gentleman that now is the athletic director at Logan County High School, he's got Two assistants, three games managers, and they don't do anything with maintenance or custodial work at all. And I think, you mean I did all that work? And (laughs) something's wrong there. Mm -hmm. But I have a hard time telling people no. I could have easily told you no, Dustin, if it hadn't been for (laughs) – if Phil Risen put you up for this, I could have said no. But when Mike Elson said, (laughs) you need to do it, I did. So really, it's Nelson's fault. So you I, talk about wearing multiple hats, and the, the reality is they had to replace you with four or five people just to get one Hugh. <laughs> really, you're larger than life is what Hugh McReynolds is. I don't know about larger than life. I am big, though. That's true. <laughs> yeah, he's going to ask me something. <laughs> yeah, no, your story just... Um... You know, it hits home for me because I had a crooked line situation, not as extreme as yours. Mine was, uh, you know, the sidelines, and they weren't exactly the straightest down the side. Um, I did not paint them, but it was my responsibility to fix it. So um, I did exactly what you did. I reached down, and I grabbed a handful of grass, and I went to Home Depot, and I did spray paint. I I opted for spray paint. And uh, I took my grass, and I'm holding my grass up to all the green spray paint trying to find the best match to do it and it made me chuckle when I heard your story and you say that because the amount of people who made fun of me for carrying a handful of grass into Home Depot to try to find the best match and I was like what did you I couldn't 
possibly look at all of this paint and try to match it up the best way. So that was my, uh, that was my answer to it. And I, I really enjoyed hearing that you had the exact same mind frame to grab a hand fill, go to the local paint shop and be like, help me out. This is how we need to fix it. Well, you know, as Dustin knows, I told him a little bit of a story. Also, while we were in Indianapolis, there's another great story of my football field and a need for paint. Uh, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, skull yeah. and crossbones. Yeah, I was going to throw you. Uh, I was going to lob one to you, see if you would hit it, but <laughs> you don't have to lob it. It's another great paint story. Uh, <laughs> I was always accused of being anti-band, uh, but I really like band. I like kids who involve themselves in music. A lot of times they were kids who weren't involved in other extracurricular activities. And if I was to say anything to an incoming freshman group of parents, it would be make sure your son or daughter gets involved in some kind of extracurricular activity while they're in school. Uh, but in this particular case, we had a young band director, and he's become very successful, but he and I were definitely across tracks from each other. Um, they had a Pirates theme for their band show, and they had taken a plastic tarp and cut out <laughs> a skull and crossbones on this tarp. I like where this is going. You can see this happening. I mean, anybody that's worked with turf, you understand what could happen. Well, we had battled. We had battled. Uh, all of July, early August, he'd try to sneak out on any opportunity when he thought I wasn't going to be around for him to uh, practice on game field. I didn't really care that they practiced as long as he took care of the game field. Because one of the worst things that can happen on a natural grass surface is a band member standing there stomping their feet, marching in place on the field. But they had this tarp with a skull and crossbones. I didn't care that they carried it and laid it out there and it was out there for a few minutes and then they took it up. I had warned him, don't leave it out on the field in 90-degree weather, an extended period of time in Kentucky. It just doesn't work. <laughs> my Bermuda grass was about as good as I ever remember it having. Oh, it was beautiful. It was. And uh, this occurred in mm, probably late September, early October. I'd overseeded with rye so we could keep the grass greener after a first frost. As you know, Bermuda will die after a first frost. I left, I was fortunate that weekend. I left school. We had an off week in football, so I took off Friday. I didn't go to school on Saturday or Sunday. I'm not sure. I must have had a momentary loss of thought, but I did. I took a long weekend. I come around, I get to school around 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning. 
I came around the left side of the school and turned around heading towards my parking lot. Now at the time I was teaching in a portable and it was right off the football field. I looked up and I thought, what in the world is wrong with the football field? There was this big brown spot in the center. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm pardon my language if I say something I shouldn't, but I I will I will tame myself at this point in time. I thought, what is it? Well, instead of going to my room, I'm charging to the football stadium. I climb the steps, look down mm. on the right in midfield. The prettiest skull and crossbones you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> I knew exactly what had happened. On Saturdays, bands go to band shows. We all know that. That's great. It's their opportunity to shine. Our band director liked to get there at 8 o'clock in the morning, and he'd like to go through the show two or three times before they get on the bus and go. Well, that's what they'd done that Saturday. He had unwrapped that tarp and laid it out at midfield. They had practiced. Instead of picking it up when they practiced, the band parents had food for the kids. So they went and ate and got ready to go, loaded the truck and everything, then went down to the field and got the tarp. So the tarp was on the field about three hours. Well, you can visualize what we had, dead grass, except for the clear skull and crossbones that was cut out. Oh, my gosh. And uh, to say the least, my blood was boiling by that time. And I'm, it's, it's crowding seven o'clock. And you have to understand, my principal at the time, like I told you, he and I went back. He came to my little high school I was at in August of 1976 as our boys' basketball coach. Uh, a big, tall guy. Never got in a hurry for anything. He was always laid back, and he kept me calm. He probably kept me in this business. Well, to be quite honest with you, he's the individual that got me involved with NIAAA and the Kentucky High School Athletic Directors Association early on. Uh, but if he got to school before 7.30, something was wrong. Well, I'm, off the I'm getting down off the stadium, and I'm walking back to the room, and here he comes walking towards me. And he said, count to 10. It'll be all right. I already know about it. And I said, where is he at? <laughs> and he laughed and he said, count to 10. I said, I counted to 20 and it doesn't help. Uh, and he said, he called me yesterday and told me he had come back out to school and he said he saw it too. I said, well, I said, how many times do I have to tell him to be careful? And he said, I don't know, but he said, I think you've proved your point. <laughs> it was interesting to say the least. Uh, that one I painted. 
I got Daniel, I got some more green paint out. I was paint after that back. And I painted where it had browned out so that we wouldn't have a skull crossbones. Uh, also had situations where we had some vandalism from our crosstown rival. They came out and painted a few choice words and symbols on the field and uh, painted those over. Now that one didn't go over quite well because we painted them and they still showed what the symbols were pretty obviously. Uh, I'm trying to hide something, make it a big rectangle or a big square, not just try to cover the outline. That didn't work too well. Uh, but hey, it's just part of life. You just kind of go with it and do the best you can. So I'm just going to ask the obvious question. Your mascot was not the Pirates, correct? Nope, it's the Cougars. <laughs> We could have been on that particular night. Maybe we would have back in history and said we were the Pirates because it would have been pretty nice. I I am upset for you right now. Like, I can't even understand how you would have felt standing on the top of the bleachers looking down, just being like, oh, are you serious right now? And this goes back to a couple other things where somebody made a mistake, whether it was a stupid mistake or not is irrelevant. There was a mistake made, right? And... They should have called you. Or if I made that mistake on someone else's field like that, I would have been at that store and I would have painted it. So when they came back on Monday, it already would have been as fixed as best it could have been. I would have been all over that in advance. Well, in defense of the band director, he didn't have a clue. <laughs> I don't know if that's really in defense of the band director. Or not. <laughs> no, he just didn't know. And, you know, it brings up a point. I think Dustin was talking a little bit ago, Danielle, when he was talking about many athletic directors today do not deal with fields directly and how to maintain them. The question I have to ask them when they say that, do the people that you have assigned to maintain them understand how they need to take care of sports fields, or do they look at it just as another piece of grass? Yeah. Uh, it's so critical that whoever's responsible for taking care of those fields know that it's a sports field and the need for it to be extra special. Speaking of extra special, I just want to know what that conversation was like when you finally mm -hmm. had a conversation with that band director. Was it the same day? Did you cool down? Did you just count like 20 days before you talked to him instead yep. of just the 20? Well, to be quite honest with you, I think it was probably two weeks before I saw him, other than at a distance. <coughs> uh, my portable classroom looked over to the entrance to the band room entrance. So he wasn't 50 yards away from me, but he would always get out of his car and make a quick entrance. But to be quite honest, and I think he thought I would blow up. Sometimes the best words are no words. Yeah. Because I think he actually wanted me to uh, blow up. No, nah, I just want to talk to you. That's all right. Just ignore you for a while. His, his band boosters president came and talked to me. And his band boosters president at the time and I were pretty good friends. And he said, what did it cost? I said, a uh, gallon, gallon and a half of paint. I said, it's just the fact that grass isn't coming back this year. Because, you know, two, three weeks later, we had our first frost of the year, and the whole field was brown as a biscuit. 
mean, that's just life <laughs> in Kentucky. Uh, because my ryegrass had not survived real well that particular year. Uh, when it the brood died, it died too. But well, you know, I think about both of your stories, and you talk about um, sometimes in our world we've got to have uh, an extra dose of grace um, and and a short memory sometimes. And I think about I want to go back to to Chris and that relationship from that point on. Um, I know knowing your heart and knowing what you've done and how you've taught that group for 25 years. What was that relationship with Chris like um, after that and even to this day? I have not seen him in several years. I see his mother quite often. Uh, he's had some issues, been in and out of jail a few times. And lots of people are scared of him because, like I said, he was a true bull in a china shop, strong as an ox. I don't, and a lot of people were scared of him, not me. Yeah. But there was a bond there for whatever reason. And really, I know the reason. It's like a lot of other people. Just let them know you care about them and you believe in them. It's amazing what they'll do for you after that fact. And, uh, I don't even know whether where he's at. I haven't asked his mother in a long time, um, but he was a good kid. And I'm, go ahead, Daniel. No, I'm just curious about your relationship um, with the band director after that too. Like, I want to know if he followed your rules from then on out. Did you have any more issues with him uh, doing what you asked him to do on that field? He left the next year. <laughs> Uh, he had, hey, he had graduated from Logan County High School, mm-hmm. college to be a music director, and did a good job. Had a great relationship with kids, uh, but he didn't. And he, but he had tunnel vision. It was all about the band then, and didn't want to listen to the perspectives from the others. And it takes three sixty vision to do the job we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, For sure. And you have to, and you want to get every group involved. And I'll be the first to say I was obsessed sometimes because my background, even now, is course chair for curb appeal and uh, facilities 615 and 619. Those are two things I've learned to really take a lot of pride in how things look. You may not have the greatest, the biggest, the best facilities, but what you have, you can make them look the best they can look considering the situation. It's a sales job. When I te- teach 619 now, we talk about the sales job. We're all competing for that entertainment dollar. And when people come to a sporting event, it's not just the game on the field. It's the feeling people have from the minute they come into your school till the minute they leave. And it's so critical. And uh, it's not a humorous story. But I can tell you lots of stories that I use exceptional education students or kids who just struggle to help them get involved in athletics. I mean, during COVID the last few years, we saw how critical athletics was to a school when it was threatened. 
there's ways to involve every kid in athletics. They don't have to play the game. I'm a perfect example of that. Yeah. They can and, go ahead, Daniel. No, and 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 everything you're saying, uh, I I agree with. There's a all sports teams around. You know, it's not just the athletes. There's coaches. There's equipment managers. There's there's doctors and lawyers on parts of sports teams. It really doesn't matter. Um, there's a whole profession around the players and kids can start learning that stuff in high school if they're interested in it so I'll, I really you know like that message you're putting out and then you know just thinking about your reactions of how you've handled these things I think one really important thing to high out to, to point out is you may have been mad you may have been like you said your blood was boiling but there's a time and place for that and that exact moment when you needed to fix the problem immediately wasn't that time. And you did what you had to do and you got it done and then dealt with, you know, maybe those anger, that anger later. So I think that's a really important piece to, we have to fix this problem first and then be angry later. Um, I will tell you, Daniel, you, you brought a subject up. I had him in a English class and the next week, they come rolling into the class and only had like eight or 10 kids. And uh, in my little portable classroom, it was a pretty good sized room, but it's also an athletic office in Grand Central Station for a lot of kids. But uh, I had drawn on a dry race board, a football field. You could tell it was a football field. Only one difference. I had drawn diagonal lines on the field. <laughs> You hadn't heard that part, Dustin. No, I haven't. <laughs> she walked in the room that day, and all the other kids, they knew what it was about. Everybody in school knew after the game, but the time the game was over on Friday night, they had heard the story. Um, and he walks in. He was late. He was always late to class. He always had an excuse, and I'm soft-hearted and pushover in that way. He came in, he sat down, and the other kids were just waiting for him to throw a fit. And he looked up, sat there and stared at the board a long time, and he gets up, goes and picks up the dry erase board and just draws straight lines down the side. <laughs> and then he erases the others. He said, I don't have a white marker, so we'll just have to erase it. We made a joke over a time about it. Yeah, that's the way you've got to look at things like that. When things yep. problems arise, you make the best of a bad situation. Yeah. Well, you don't want anger to cloud your vision in that moment. You want right. the result first. But And I think the other takeaway uh, that might not be an awful takeaway for any ADs out there, and it's not an awful idea to have some green paint lying around. So when situations like this occur, you don't have to run to the store first. Uh, or at least, you know, have a game plan for getting that green paint because it is fixable. You just paint it and you move on. Uh, I think the big thing for me with Hugh is he and Coach May both couldn't be at level 10 at that moment. Coach mm -hmm. May was, was freaked out and trying to figure out what to do. You guys both couldn't be in that moment. That would have been detrimental not only to the moment, but – Possibly to Chris at that point, yeah. just trying to say, hey, we're going to blow up and find out where he's at and figure this out. But I think there's got to be a, a measure of stability. And somebody yep. you guys both can't be at 
level 10 right off the bat. You've got to work. I mean, there's got to be a balance there somewhere. Mm -hmm. That is correct. Absolutely correct. So let me ask you this question, Hugh. Was what Hugh, or was what you got, as you quoted, lassoed into, was it as painful <laughs> as you thought it may have been? No, because as I told you in Indianapolis and here, you get me started on something other than I like talking about. Yeah, that's why Phil Rising made the statement. Because he will talk long enough to have your time for commitment taken care of. <laughs> well, I definitely appreciate you taking your time, um, you know, to, to sharing your stories with us. I think it's valuable lessons that, you know, we can share and learn. And, and for other ADs to know, I'm, I am sure people that are listening can relate to this story. And they're not the only ones whose fields may not have looked as perfect as they wanted to. And they hurry up and figure out how to do it. Um, and don't be ashamed of taking a handful of your grass and going to the store to get a color match. Don't be ashamed to do it. <laughs> Well, well, I've heard I've heard the statement of Kentucky bluegrass, <laughs> but I, I think this is a different tone for you. And we've got to go with the green Bermuda that comes in 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 Kentucky. Uh, so I think for and for Phil, it may be blue for Phil is his love for the Kentucky Wildcats. But um, I think <laughs> if we can find out what the uh, what the Pantone color is of Kentucky Bermuda grass, or maybe Hughes Kentucky Bermuda grass, then maybe we can market that to the to the AD world across the country. Well, it's gonna hey, it's gonna be dependent. The best thing is, like Danielle said, if you had an instant like that, just go grab a handful and take it to the hardware store. Yeah. Uh, my piece of advice from as a facilities person, as long as I've been. For the NIAAA and talking to the professionals, you better have a plan in place if something happens, whether it's vandalism, whether it's a maintenance person that got distracted. And that line, as Danielle had pointed out, it's got a dog leg in it, and the <laughs> officials don't like it and they want it corrected. You better have a plan in place. Uh, I'm a firm believer in having a Worst case scenario plan for a lot of things, just in case. And this is a perfect example of that. But what I would like to tell you, I'm just going to make a plug for you. Take 615, take 619. If you got a chance to sit under Hughes Intelligence for <laughs> four hours at a time, do that. It's well worth the time to be able to sit in that class. And it's not just because Hugh's a, a great presenter, but it's also because the subject matter is important, one, for, for our profession, but it's important and obviously a passion for Hugh or he wouldn't be involved teaching that. That's right. Uh, I primarily are on the 619 side. Uh, I'm a big proponent on the 615 side, which is about cultural practices and with grass. I let the professionals do a lot of that because it's ever changing, and I don't have a degree in that program. And trying to keep up with all the changes in the regulations is unreal. Uh, but thank you. That was a good compliment. I appreciate it. Well, I just want to say thanks again, Hugh. I appreciate you uh, taking a chance, and this was your maiden voyage on a podcast. 
you did it with us. Um, even if it was reluctant at the beginning, I knew what was going to happen, and I knew you'd be a star, and we appreciate you taking the time and jumping on with us. No problem. No problem. Yeah, thank you. I love listening to your stories. Um, it was awesome. It brought, it brought back some memories for me as well. So thank you for taking the time today, and thank you to Ticket Spicket, who is the NIAAA official ticketing partner and also our sponsor. So thank you to them, and thank you to Hugh, and we will see you next week. 